0: Welcome to worship this morning, and uh, at the very beginning of the service, I want to tell you some good news. can't wait for the notice time, because it's so exciting. It's written on this little piece of paper, and it says that Jeremy and Laura Duke have a little baby boy, 4.13am this morning, 10 days early. And uh, Joshua Russell has a name. That's That's even more exciting, that he was born early this morning and already has a name. That never happened in our household. (laughs) So congratulations Grandpa, excellent. And we give thanks to God. As we come to worship, let us remember this ancient land which God has gifted to us. Remember that the Spirit of God was in this land long before we were even conceived, was cared for by the people who were here hundreds of thousands of years ago, 80,000 years ago. Um, and we remember the custodians of the land, the Wurundjeri people, but we remember that the Spirit of God has always been in this land and continues to be with us today. As we come to worship, I'd like to read to you Psalm 95. I come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and the dry land which his hands have formed. But come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your ancestors tested him and put him to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they do not regard my ways. Therefore, in my anger I swore, They shall not enter. The land. We remember this, which shapes for us this vision of God who has created all and holds the whole creation in his hands, but a God that desires so desperately our faithfulness and loyalty to him.
1: This morning's reading is from John chapter 4, verses 5 to 42. So when he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews." Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have bought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, Four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything i ever did so when the samaritans came to him they urged him to stay with them and he stayed 2 days and because of his words many more became believers they said to the woman we no longer believe just because of what you said now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world this is the word of our lord Thanks.
0: At the front of our minds, I'm sure, is this current health situation around the world, here in Australia, in regards to the coronavirus. I'm sure most people have now become aware that this is a health situation that is far worse than the seasonal flu, although that, too, can be very, very serious. I'm sure that also has created a sense of anxiety even fear, in many of us. One of the best strategies for dealing with fear and anxiety is to refocus our thoughts away from ourselves and towards the needs and welfare of others. What can I do to ensure that others are safe? What can I do so that those around me feel cared for and loved? What can I do to contribute to a more resilient, a stronger, a more caring community in this time of crisis? What can I do to show love to others? Well, the first thing is all those things that Murray was telling us about. Hygiene, washing our hands, being careful with our coughs and sneezes, minimising our contact with others and staying away from others when we're unwell. These are all important, not primarily so that we don't get sick, but so that others don't get sick because of us. Caring for ourselves is the best way to care for and protect others. You've probably seen on TV or read in the newspapers about this idea of flattening out the curve to slow down transmission so that there's not a huge spike in people needing medical and hospital services, and thus to ensure that our health services are not overwhelmed. The best way we can care for others is to make sure we don't get sick and use up a medical service that might be critically needed by other people. In this situation, caring for ourselves is neither selfish, but it is a priority in our way of loving other people. I heard on the BBC an interview with an immunologist, Professor Graham Medley. He was saying, if you really want to change your behaviours, don't think about yourselves, but think about others. Imagine you already had this virus, Now do everything you can to ensure that you don't pass it on to anyone else. If that means staying at home, stay at home. I read something just the last night that someone had written as a text message. And this guy in his 40s was writing, A few days ago I couldn't care less if I got coronavirus. It is almost no chance of hurting me any worse than a bad flu. But the more I understand about it, and the more I understand that me getting coronavirus isn't a threat to me, it's a threat to the at-risk person I might pass it on to without knowing. Any time you do something to avoid getting this virus, you might actually be saving a life. It's that simple. I'm staying home this weekend, he writes, and I'm washing my hands like crazy, not for my health, but for the health of my elderly neighbour, my friend who's had an organ transplant, my neighbour who has compromised immunity, and the countless people I have never met. There's a picture that makes this really clear, I reckon. If we don't get it, neither do all those others that we would have passed it on to. The second thing we can do is to watch out for each other and our neighbours. In this current crisis, we'll need to support each other as much as possible. Be proactive, like Murray said. Phone up the people you know. Ask if things are needed. If they are needed and you can help get them, do it. As I already said, if you're feeling afraid or anxious, one of the most effective things we can do is focus our concern on others rather than ourselves. We've been talking about a new care model in our church introducing our community care model, circles of care. And this has taken on a new urgency in the current context. And there will be a meeting next Wednesday night with the new coordinators and facilitators so that we might begin this immediately. The notion is circles of care, where we can care for each other. Most of you will find yourselves in circles that you're already solidly part of like a Bible study group or an activity group. The facilitator's role is not to care for everybody, but to promote promote and prompt caring within the group, watching out for each other, making others aware of needs, checking in. The third thing is that this is a time and opportunity to maintain and for some of us maybe renew our disciplines of prayer, Scripture reading and reflection. Set aside that time to pray and commune with God. Establish your continued disciplines of reading and reflecting on Scripture. If, like me, this crisis has caused you to reflect on your own mortality, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's an opportunity to reflect on our salvation And our assurance of salvation. To reflect upon the values and priorities in our lives. To reaffirm and revalue our most intimate relationships with those we love. In our modern Western culture, often we lose touch with that awareness of our own mortality. We lose touch with the fact that there are real limitations to human life most things we can't control. And when we get anxious about such things, our normal reaction is to get busy, distracted, push these thoughts aside. Through most of history, and in most of what we call the third world, death is a much nearer reality. It's an intimate companion through most of life. If one effect of a crisis such as this is to confront us with our mortality and draw us in to claim more strongly the assurance of eternal salvation that we find in Jesus Christ, then that is a very, very good thing indeed. What are we doing as a church? When the coronavirus first started in a long way away in China, and it was in the headlines, I started reading this book. It's by Daniel Defoe. It's written in 1722. That's a long time ago. He wrote it after talking to survivors of the bubonic plague in 1665. I wanted to read it to see, well, how did the churches respond In that incredible time, it's written about the plague in London. Well, it wasn't a good look. Some tried to exploit the fear of people by threatening them with brimstone and all kinds of horrors if they didn't repent. A lot of them resorted to peddling superstitions and weird cures for everything. And we've seen a bit of that on our TV with our tele-evangelists. But he says there were others who simply went about helping their neighbour courageously as an expression of their faith. Defoe records how the established clergy, that was the those in the state church which came to be the Church of England, mainly fled to the countryside to seek their safety and comfort. And the pulpits they left behind, meaning the churches that they forsook, were quickly taken up by the non-conformists. That was the Puritans and the other radical Reformationists, who saw this as a great opportunity to further the work of Jesus Christ. We can approach this crisis seeking our own safety and security, Or we can see with this crisis also an opportunity where through actions and words we can be witnesses to the faith we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. As a church we've already decided to suspend some activities. We called off the giant garage sale. Would not have been a good public witness to hold a very public event when so many other events in the community were being cancelled. Is
1: that next work,
0: yeah? yeah, it's not happening now. We called it off. Oh, it's... But you can still come up here. There'll be some people around. Yeah. We also decided not to run the Messy Church yesterday. Some of the families were already anxious about attending. But cancelling events and activities does not in any way mean we are in retreat. Already the Messy Church team have become very active in reaching out to families with assurance, support and offers of help. We need to think how in this time of disruption we can continue in responsible ways to be the church for others. I saw this in the internet. I thought it was a great question for us to ask. And here it comes on the screen. What, if done by a church in the midst of a pandemic, would cause neighbours to be stunned by their kindness, courage, generosity, faith, hope and love? Do that. What is it that as a church, others would be touched by and see as a witness of the gospel, in this critical time, we've not made any public worsh- uh, decisions about our public worship, but there may come a time in the future when we need to suspend our gatherings. You will be aware that some of the larger churches around our own area have stopped public worship. I heard yesterday that Rabina Church up in Brisbane, Coolangatta, and the Gold Coast has closed down all of their worship events. Partly because they're so large. They have attendances around 500 or more. There may come a time when we need to responsibly do that. And we won't be meeting Sunday by Sunday, maybe for a couple of months. But meeting together is surely a central part of being the church. Church. But it's not the only way that we're church. There are already some ideas that people have shared and I'm sure others will emerge. The church council will meet this coming Thursday. We will list down all the activities that the church is involved in. We will consider the risk of each of those activities. We will make decisions about whether we continue or suspend them. And we will plan ways in which we can meet the objectives of which all of those activities sought to achieve. I'd like everyone to reflect on your own situation. Consider because if because of your age, some pre-existing illness, or some other way in which your immunity may be compromised, is it better for you at this time to stay at home and not come to church? Or maybe you are volunteering in a particular church activity which you feel puts you at particular risk. Please feel free from any obligation and do what you consider best for you. But if you do decide that for a time you will withdraw from worship or other activities please let us know so that we can plan ways in which, as a church, we can continue to include you, support you, care for you. Please do not slip away. Tell us, because it's important that in this time we seek to stay together as a community, even though we might not be meeting together as a community. As a response to the current situation, we will seek to try and shorten our worship services. There is one thing which I would ask everyone here to commit to do. This is to pray for those who are our frontline health providers. Doctors, nurses, hospitals, clinic staff and other health workers especially for those who are a part of our church community. Pray for them and their families. It is these people especially who need courage, strength and wisdom as they confront this critical time ahead. It is this sacrifice, their sacrifice and their professional service that these people especially will offer to us and others We need to encapsulate them, hold them continually in our prayer. We've not really begun to consider our scripture reading this morning, the story of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. It's a remarkably poignant reading for our time. Demonstrates how so clearly the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ who reaches out across the chasm of social, cultural and religious difference to invite this woman into an experience of faith. To the Jews, a Samaritan woman would have been much like the outcasts or the Dalit people in India, the lowest of the low, religiously suspect, ethically questionable, spiritually and physically unclean. Yet Jesus relates to her with acceptance and love so that her life is fundamentally transformed and she in turn is empowered to witness to a whole village which is brought to faith in Christ. Also here we encounter Jesus' offer not only to the woman at the well but also to the disciples and also to us. The offer of living water that will quench our deepest thirst. The offer of bread that will still our deepest hunger. In Jesus' time, living water meant live water or running water, a stream or a spring. The woman asked Jesus how he is going to get the living water, expecting that it, he will need something to be able to reach down to the deepest part of the well. To get it from where it bubbles up. From the spring below. But he tells her it's not in the well. But in Jesus himself. That it is the spring that gives true life. That gives true living water. True life that can be found. The disciples think Jesus has some food hidden away. Maybe they even thought he was playing some trick on them. He had sent them away to find food, when did he, when he, some time before, but now he's saying he's got food. But this food, this answer to the deepest hunger of the human soul, is not hidden bread. It's not a piece of meat that he's put away, but it's Jesus' own self that he offers to them and us. At this time of global and national crisis, we need to model the compassion of Jesus in his encounter with the woman at the well. But even more, we need to throw ourselves upon the Saviour of the world, that all our hunger, all our thirsting, our deepest desires and our most troubling anxieties will find their answer in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a prayer, I know that Barbara's going to come and pray and she will include much of this. But there's a prayer, two prayers. One is from the rather ancient one from the Book of Common Prayer which I would like us to pray and then another which has been written especially for this occasion. Let us pray. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us both inwardly in our bodies and outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, for ever and ever. Amen. And another prayer. May we who are merely inconvenienced remember those whose lives are at stake. May we who have no risk factors remember those most vulnerable. May we who have the luxury of working from home remember those who must choose between preserving their health or paying their rent. May we who have the flexibility to care for our children when their schools close remember those who have no options. May we who have to cancel our trips remember those that have no safe place to go. May we who are losing our margin money in the tumult of the economic markets remember those who have no margin at all. May we who settle in for a quarantine at home remember those who have no home. As fear grips our country, let us choose love. During this time when we cannot physically wrap our arms around each other, let us find ways to be loving to lovingly embrace our neighbors in the name of God. Amen. Amen. Just to reinforce if you make a decision not to come to public worship please let us know so that we can gather you in include you support you in other ways. And now may the grace of God that is always for us the company of our Lord Jesus Christ, who from whom we can never be separated, and the Holy Spirit that surrounds us and uplifts us, be with us now and evermore.
1: Amen. Amen.